before we get started on today, I just wanted to remind you to please leave a rating and review on the podcast app or the iTunes app if you are using an iPhone. It really helps spread the word and it helps other people find this podcast a lot easier the more good ratings and reviews we have. So if you're a fan, please, please, please take a minute and just do that. It would be so helpful. Thank you. Hi, I'm Shelby Schlang-Berrigan, and this is Living Over Losing, unfiltered and unrestrained. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Living Over Losing with Shelby Schlang-Berrigan. Today, I am super excited to have Rita Oraha on the show. She is a holistic health coach that helps women to develop a healthy relationship to food, body, and exercise so that they can live their best life. I'm really excited to talk to you. Hi, Rita. Hi, Shelby. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. So I guess before we get started on all the topics that I want to cover with you, I like to start off with having the guests tell their story, um, you know, like how you got into this work, what were your eating habits like growing up until now, you know, like what was your path that got you here? So for me, it really started when... um, a few years ago when my life started to feel like it was out of control. And how that happened was that I, my whole life, I grew up in Denmark. I had uh, my family there. I had my friends there. I had, I knew how to get around. I knew the the culture and um, I just had my life together, whatever that meant at that time. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a few years, I uh, met my husband when I came to America and then I moved here and we married and everything. And that's when um, I felt like my, I was born all over again in a different country, but now as an adult with nothing, like I didn't have much family here. I did. I just felt like I had to start all over again, you know, like learning the language um, to um, getting used to the culture and everything like that. So um, that's when I felt like my life started to get out of control. And the only way that I felt like I could control my life again was through exercising and through controlling my food. And um, so, yeah, I felt like in the beginning when I started to get into working out was only to lose weight. But then slowly I started to realize, wow, like this feels good. It feels like I can actually run away from my issues. You know, I, I had depression at that time. I was stressed out. I had anxiety. And then it became almost like a, a really bad habit or an addiction um, I found with exercising. And then slowly one thing led to another. I started looking into healthy eating and how I could become healthier. And then I developed orthorexia and stuff like that. So really like I growing up, I didn't never had any food issues. I just grew up eating whatever I wanted. I mean, uh, I never worried about my body. I never worried about my looks. Um, it was really until I started, my life started to feel out of control and nobody likes this feeling of feeling out of control. I mean, even the smartest people can do not so smart things when they feel frustrated and, and, um, yeah. So that's how my, yeah. So that's, it seems like for you kind of everything was sort of felt like it was out of control. So this, this eating and exercise obsession was kind of like a way to control something. Yes. So I'm interested in, how old were you when you moved here? I was uh, 20 years old and I'm 28 now. Okay. And you said that you lived in Denmark before? 
Yes. I so, guess. I mean, I've only been to Denmark once and that was on my honeymoon. Um, it was beautiful, but I obviously have never lived there and I've never lived in another country. So I kind of do want to ask like, what was the main differences do you think coming over here to the United States? Like what were, you said it was a completely new culture and it kind of felt like you were spiraling out of control besides like the language barrier and stuff like that. What seemed to be so different? Uh, well, it was a combination of a lot of things. I mean, people were different. Um, just, you know, um, I remember even saying like things whenever we would be driving, my husband and I, I'm like, why are things so, like the roads are much bigger. I don't know if you can remember, like in Denmark, the roads are very tiny. And um, it was just like, everything was huge to me when I moved here. It was like, um, you have a drive through and access and everything is too, too convenient here. Like, not that Denmark is a third world country at all. Um, it's just those little things, it just felt so um, different, you know? Um, everybody has a car here over there. You, you have a bike and you take the bus or train uh, when you wanna go somewhere. Um, so it was just all these little things. And also, like, I did not know what I wanted to do once I got here. Like I said, when I was there, it felt like I had my life together. And I was that kind of person that people, they would come to me for help, whether it was help with homework or an issue or whatever. Here, I felt like I had to be that person. I had to be asking a ton of questions. I had to learn um, to be, you know, to accept that I'm the one who needs help now. <laughs> and I just was never that kind of person. So, yeah. So, so that's interesting because I also, I have friends from um, Sweden that say the same thing. Whenever they come here, they say everything is so big. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so interesting because it's almost like, do you feel like from here compared to there, things are almost too big? Like we don't like think we don't need things to be that big or we don't need that much. It seems kind of like America, at least in Europe, is known as like a place of surplus where everything is just like mm -hmm. everywhere unlimited and yeah, and so it's kind of that way with food too. I don't know what the differences were with you know with Denmark compared to here with food, but it's very easy to to find food, to get food, to you know to buy if you are binging or whatever. It's very, it's not very hard to to find the resources for that. Yes, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, I do feel like um, we have a lot of unnecessary like huge spaces. Um, I mean, I it's much better now. I've um, I feel like now that I, when I go visit my family in Denmark, I'll like look at their fridge and it's so tiny. I mean, um, I feel like everything is tiny there now. So I have gotten a lot more used to it here, you know, now that I've been here eight years, um, it's gotten a lot easier for me. So now I feel the opposite when I do go to Europe and um, my parents live in an apartment, I feel like everything is so tiny. But then because I grew up there after like a couple of days, I'm so used to it again. And I, I feel like I miss it. I'm like, you know what, this feels really good to, to, uh, you learn to appreciate things a lot more when you don't have so much, um, access to it and that easily. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. And I think, I think that's how a lot of people feel when they, when they move here from, from Europe. And it's, and I think the opposite too. So when I go there, I'm like, why is this shower so small? I can't even move, <laughs> but it's just because I'm not used to it. Exactly. And so, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. So going back to your story. So you said that, you know, you felt like you're out of control. This was kind of a control thing and it kind of helped you like cope with it. How did you then realize, okay, this is an issue and I need to like, how did you fix 
that or come out of it? Because obviously you're not in that place anymore. Right. So I, I started to have like, uh, slowly I started to develop, um, you know, signs like my body would give me signs of like, okay, this is being an issue because like I was always feeling tired. Uh, my, my hair started to thin out. Um, I just felt like I had no energy and just, you know, fatigue all the time. And then also I started to develop, uh, develop like, um, what is it called? Digestive issues. I felt bloated all the time. And, and I just finally, like I ignored all these signs that my body was giving me because I just didn't want to admit that it came from all these obsessive behaviors that I was having. Cause then if I admitted that I was having um, disordered eating and I was addicted to exercising, then that meant I had to start working on that. And I just didn't want to give that up. I, I was always wishing that it was something else wrong with me, you know, so that it wouldn't be those two things that I was so obsessed with. Um, so finally, when I took this really, really seriously was when I lost my period. I didn't give it much attention, like when a month, two months, three months went by. But then after that, I started to realize, okay, this is an issue. I'm not having an, uh, an a period and I need to figure out what's going on. And deep down, I still knew it was due to having such low body fat. I was uh, not eating enough to maintain the amount of exercising I was doing. I was really stressed out. Um, so I started to do a lot of research uh, and I didn't even know what hypothalamic amenorrhea was at that time. But really that's when I lost my period, that's when I started to take my recovery seriously. Then that's when I started to uh, start the whole like, okay, I need to look into how much I'm exercising. I need to give some things up because I have to make a decision. What do I want to be tiny and miserable or do I want to be happy and healthy? Right, exactly. And I think, so that's so common. And I remember too, when I was struggling with this, when I was younger, um, when I was 20 and I first lost my period, I just, I did the same thing. Like I was like, oh, it must be something's wrong with me. My hormones must be off. And of course I didn't want to admit that it was just because I didn't have enough energy in my body to, to have a period. So I, it's interesting because it's a lot of, and I kept asking too, like I would go to the doctor and say, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And it, the answer wasn't that obvious, you know, like it was kind of like, they were like, oh, I don't really, I don't know. I don't really know what's wrong. And so it's interesting because not a lot of people know about hypothalamic anemia. So I kind of want you to like explain that a little bit, um, just a little bit more for people that don't know. Yeah. So basically just a short version of it is when you've lost your period um, over uh, like three months or more, that's when uh, typically when you have hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, and most of the time I see it comes from obviously from not eating enough and from overexercising and having very low body fat and a lot of stress too. Yeah. And I think sometimes people can think that, you know, not having a period isn't the worst thing in the world because it's, it's an inconvenience, but it really, it can be really, really detrimental to other parts of, you know, to, to your whole body. It can just really throw everything off. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, I mean, because it seems like you've done a lot of research on this, like what what happens when you lose your period for a long time, you know, in simple words? 
So, I mean, I started to, when I was doing the research, I was getting really scared from the things that I was reading about what could happen when you lose your period for a long time, because women are meant to menstruate. I mean, there's a reason that this happens. So you, it can lead to bone loss, you know, it can lead to osteoporosis and all kinds of things and, um, and other health issues that, I mean, I don't want to be 50 years old in an 80 year old woman's body. Um, which is what could possibly happen if you go for a long, long time without menstruating. So that's, that's really scary. And that's one of the things that um, really started to make me take this stuff serious, that I needed to give up exercising. And even exercising, when you do it, when you go on an extreme with it, it can also lead to bone loss. And I mean, you're exercising to be healthy and to, for, the, uh, for good reasons, not for the opposite reasons. So, right. So how did you, what did you do to kind of let control, like let control go and start to trust your body to get, you know, to get your period back to gain, maybe gain some, some weight back or just get out to more of a normal schedule, more of a normal pattern. Yeah. So, well, I had to give up my routine. It was a very slow process. I will admit. Uh, I mean, I didn't have my period for a year and a half. During that year and a half, I only had my period for um, two times. Um, so I had to let go of control. I had to find things. To be honest, like one of the things that I had to do was not focus so much on getting my period back, but to focus on things that really mattered to me in life. Because I was sick of only focusing on my calories and my food and my body and the shape and my weight and all that kind of stuff. I realized that, okay, if what what is really important to me in my life and how can i focus on that more because there's only so much and mental energy you can give to something um that and if it's not that important to you i realized that these things were really not that important to me so why not focus on things in my life that i really cared about like maybe focus on my relationships and focusing on my career and i started to develop a spiritual practice and all these things and once you give so much of your attention to those things that matter to you, you start to uh, slowly, like all these other unhealthy behaviors, they start to slowly melt away. So you do that day after day and you know, with lots of practice, it does get a lot easier. So for me, it wasn't just, okay, I need to focus just on getting my period back. Cause this, that's how it was like in the beginning. But I realized that I couldn't stress about it because you can't go from one, type of stress to another to another because that's just you know a, a you know a stupid cycle that you will get yourself into so instead i just like i said just uh focus on the things that really matter to me right and i think that was i think that's kind of true for a lot of people it is a slow process because it's if it was just as easy to say okay i'm done i'm gonna stop now then you know it, it would it wouldn't be this hard but yeah. It isn't like that. It's like you have to slowly decrease the exercise or maybe in slowly introduce foods back and right. until it becomes just eventually not a big deal. But to get there is definitely not easy. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, it is, you know, it's really, really important. The food and um, reducing your exercising and increasing your calories and maybe taking supplements and stuff like that is really important, but that's just a small part of your recovery. Uh, the bigger part is I, what I call you know, primary foods. It's things that feed you out, outside your plate. It's things that 
fulfills you in ways that foods really can't fulfill you, make you feel fulfilled in. Um, and those things, like I talked about earlier, are like relationships and your spirituality and all these things, because they really do feed you in a way that food can't really feed you in. But I'm not saying that all like the, the foods uh, uh, and reducing your exercising and all the other stuff aren't important because they are really important but that's just a small right exactly you kind of need to you have to it's because when you're in this eating disorder and these behaviors it's like your world is so small mm -hmm. and there's only so you're only focused on like you said calories exercise and that seems to be all that matters to you at that moment and that seems to be all that there is around you that it's totally consuming you so you totally forget like what the outside world has to offer um and i i've went through that too and i think that makes it a lot easier because you realize I mean, it's a very hard process, but you realize like there are better things out there for me and I can't let this hold me back. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of interested to know what other aspects of your life you, did you discover after, you know, starting this process and giving it up? Um, I know you mentioned like a little bit of spirituality and stuff. So I just want to go a little bit more into that. So with spirituality, I, I mean, I grew up um, in a, kind of a religious household, but I felt like I lost that part of me um, when I got really into my unhealthy exercise and eating behaviors. So I really lost that. So it was like I had to find that again in me. I started to pray a lot. I started to, to get into meditation. I started to learn how to, you know, deep uh, breathing and all that kind of stuff. And that felt so good to know that there is something out there that's bigger than you and that it's not just you against the world, but there is actually this universe that has your back and that you are supported at all times if you choose to believe that. And, um, and, and that feels so good to know that, that you're not alone. You're really always supported. Yeah. And it makes things like, like food and calories and all of that just seem a little bit more trivial and just, you know, it's like, what is this in the grand scheme of things? And so it, it does definitely does help a lot, but I know for myself and through, for a lot of people, and I think it can be a misconception that going through recovery is just kind of like a linear, easy process. Mm -hmm. And I just definitely don't agree with that because, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's, there's days where you feel down or days that you want to go back or you have the thoughts. I mean, after so long of having these negative self-critical thoughts, they don't just go away, you know? So it's kind of like learning to deal with those. Yep. Um, and I think that's a part of recovery that isn't really talked about a lot. It's kind of just, so, and so I think people can judge themselves on that because they're like, well, why am I having these thoughts? You know, I'm not doing recovery right. And that's not true because it, it happens to everyone. So do you have any like tips or anything that helped you to stay on track when you were going through the process and maybe you were getting, you know, some of your ED thoughts coming back? Sure. Yes, I do. Um, I think that, yes, we all will. Um, and still sometimes do get those critical thoughts where we do want to, uh, instead of be sitting down and relaxing, like I'll have moments where like, I feel like I should be exercising instead of being lazy or just, you know, judging myself. But I think that that's really, really important to not judge yourself about it. 
Um, and if you do have bad days, if you do restrict one day during your recovery or, you know, just go back into those old patterns, it's okay. Because if you start to judge yourself, that's when it gets worse and worse. But if you just accept that and acknowledge that, okay, I, I'm doing this because again, I, this is what I'm doing to cope with it. And that's all I know how to cope with it as, at the moment. Uh, and then you can move on from it from that point. Because if you move on from a, point, um, from a positive mindset, then it gets a lot easier to keep going with that. You know, I feel like a lot of times we are so judgmental of ourselves and you can't really heal whatever it is that you're trying to heal from, whether it's your eating disorder or um, whatever it is. You can't heal from those things from, by being very judgmental. You have to first accept it and realize that you're doing it because it's in a way serving you. And that's just all you know at that time. Acceptance and not judging yourself, I will say, um, are a really, really big thing to, to move into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is exactly. And that's it kind of, I've, I've learned that too with, with my own recovery. It's kind of, you learn how to not judge yourself as much because I think the whole, a lot of the eating disorders built off of judging yourself and critical thoughts. And so if you're judging yourself and giving yourself critical thoughts on your recovery, then it's kind of, you know, you're, then you're still doing the same thing just in a different way. So it's kind of just okay, today, maybe I didn't have a good day. Maybe I did restrict and I felt bad, but it's okay. You know, that it was a bad day. Tomorrow's a different day. And instead of beating yourself up over it, I think exactly. definitely. Yeah. And I, oops, sorry. <laughs> I know I saw, I saw, um, you actually wrote a blog post, I think about half-ass recovery. And I'm really interested in that because I think that that's very common. I think some people kind of get into this, they they're kind of recovered but not like maybe they're a little bit better than they were a couple months or years ago but they're kind of scared to fully take that step so what do you think half-ass recovery is and how do we get past that so I wrote this blog post because I was getting a lot of questions on how to get out of your comfort zone um, because a lot of people were telling me how they were so scared of gaining weight and all that kind of stuff and I I felt like I needed to write this blog post because people need to learn how to get out of their comfort zone. Um, and then I gave, gave some tips on how you could do that. You know, um, taking, I think it's really, really important to not feel always comfortable um, and being, getting comfortable with getting uncomfortable is really, really important, especially when you are trying to recover. So every day um, you can take it at your own pace. Like, um, start doing things that don't feel comfortable to you. Maybe it's complimenting somebody. Maybe it's, um, I don't know, eating something that you don't feel comfortable eating, uh, even if it's just one piece of it or whatever it is. So if you practice those things, and they don't always have to be related to food, but slowly practicing those things will make you more, um, it'll make, make it easier for you to try things that feel more uncomfortable to you long-term. Right. Because I think, and I notice this in myself too, that sometimes I will kind of replace like an old behavior with a new behavior. So that maybe isn't as bad or maybe is, could be okay, but it's still something that's kind of obsessive. So like, let's say for example, I don't know, I feel like I have to walk my dog every day 
X amount of miles or whatever, this amount of time. And then it's like, well, wait, why does that, is that now an, an obsession thing? So it's kind of, I, what I find for myself is when I get into patterns like that, I'm like, okay, today I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm just going to switch it up. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to get out of this new routine and I'm going to do something else. And then you realize again, like, okay, it's okay. I don't have to stay in this same pattern. Cause I think it's easy even when you've recovered to kind of go back into patterns. And, and like I said, they're not as bad as when you had the eating disorder, but just back into like these obsessions that still are obsessions. So it's like, Oh, I got to break, you know, just breaking out of all of that. Exactly. And a lot of times i I, we always make things so much worse in our head than they actually will be. So for example, the fear of gaining weight, I mean, uh, for me personally, when I started to gain weight, I actually started to love my body. I started to have like, you know, a different shape and I started to put on some weight in the right areas. I, and I, I really loved it. I felt like, you know what, I can actually look good in clothes and not uh, just look like a stick anymore. And, and that was like one of my biggest fears. But when I finally allowed myself to put on some weight, I was so surprised at how much more I actually love my body. And that's what I try to tell other women who ask me this, you know, question of when they're, they're so scared to gain weight. I'm like, well, you haven't even allowed yourself to do it. So what if you actually will start to love your body when you do gain weight and be honest with yourself. Do you really love the way you are living your life right now? Do you really love the way, um, what you're doing to your body right now? Um, so you, you'll be surprised. We really do assume things are so much worse than they actually will be. Yeah, I agree with that so much. It's so true. And I think also, like, I remember when I was in the midst of things, I didn't like to show, like, I would like to be in baggy clothes and I would like to be wearing sweatpants and I didn't, you know, it was like, I'm working so hard for this quote unquote perfect body, but I still felt like, you know, you feel like it's never enough. So I was very self-conscious about it. Whereas when, yeah, like you said, when I did start gaining weight back, when my body started to change, I'm just so much more comfortable with it now. Yes. And it's like, I'm wearing things that I would have never worn when I was X pounds less. You know what I mean? And it's just because I feel better. So I think when you're in that, when you're in that destructive cycle, it's just, it's never going to be enough. And that's how you realize like something's got to change because no matter what I do, I'm never going to be happy with my body if I keep in this cycle. Yes. Yep. And so that brings me to, I've heard on a bunch of different podcasts that I've listened to and, I, and things that I have read about a body set point. And I know everyone's different <clears throat> with their set point. So I kind of want to, because I saw that you wrote something about this too, get into that. Like what is a body set point? And yeah, I'll just start with that. What's a body set point? So a body set point is, you know, it fluctuates anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds, sometimes more or less. But our bodies are so smart. They know exactly what feels good to them, um, what weight they should be on. And that, that changes throughout your life. I mean, when you were a kid, you ate differently. You weight different than you do now. And then five years from now, you're going to be eating differently. You're going to weight a different weight. Um, you're going to just be diff uh, the different person that you will be from that you are now. So... Um, yeah, that's basically what a body set point is. It just knows exactly how much you should be weighing um, if you just allow it to. to um, if you fuel it and nourish it the right way, it'll not make you um, 
gain weight more than you need it or lose weight more than you need to. Right. So that's just like a big trusting, like part of recovery is just trusting that your body will get there. Cause I know for me and for, I'm sure many, many people that have these, these problems, it's, that's the main thing that you're scared about. Cause it's like, if I start eating these foods again, I'm just going to, you know, gain weight, gain weight, gain weight, never stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of forget that, no, our body has a set point where it's comfortable and where we're he- the healthiest and that's where it wants to be. Exactly. And you have to accept what that looks like for you too. You know, it might, the, the thought you have in your head is to be that shredded fit, uh, have that body, but it, it might not be that uh, your body's, uh, what can you say, like your body's wish for itself, you know, it might, and you have to accept that too. Right. You have to, yeah, exactly. You have to accept what, where you are naturally. And I, and it's just, that's just comes from practicing and practicing and self-compassion and self-care. Like it just, it gets so much easier. Exactly. And it's a lot of like unlearning all the things that you've learned before of how you should look and how you should be and how you should act and all that kind of stuff. And I know I'm making it sound like it's easier than, um, it sounds easy, but it's, it's not that easy. But with practice, I, I can promise it does get a lot easier. Right. And I think too, another issue with it is that we're always comparing ourselves to other, to anyone, to everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another problem too, with why we can't sometimes accept, we think we can accept what our body's set point is and we're comparing ourselves to others. Why is, you know, her set point here and mine's here. And I just, why do you think that comparing ourselves to other people and like, why is this so detrimental to our mental health? Especially in recovery too. Yeah. I mean, one of the worst things you can do is really comparing yourself to others. And um, the best thing to do is really to stop, you know, the more that you do something, the more you surround yourself with, uh, with, people that you're trying to compare yourself to all these fitness people and all these like certain people who follow certain diets and promote certain diets, the more you will get into that. And the more you are um, willing to compare yourself to others, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. So it's so important to start to unfollow all these accounts that are making you compare yourself to others. And then ask yourself, how do I feel when I do that? Do I, do we, do you feel good when you start to compare yourself to other women or do you feel like shit afterwards? Cause I don't feel good when I compare myself to other people. It makes me judge my body even more and it makes me want to restrict. It makes me want to work out more and then feel like I'm not doing enough. So, uh, whatever you do most of, of the time is what you, um, you know, you have to be careful with, with everything that you put into your mind and whatever you see every day on social media. You can control that by, by unfollowing all these accounts and being careful with what you watch and who you hang out with and, you know, the kinds of things that you talk about. So that, I think that's really, really important to be aware of, okay, what do I really want to be surrounded by every day? Right. I think social media can be, I mean, of course, social media can be so triggering in, in that way. And I remember for me, when I was kind of in the midst of all this, these issues, I would sometimes, I had a really hard time taking rest days, which I'm sure you can relate to with exercise. And sometimes, of course, you just, you get to a point where you just can't 
keep pushing and you have to take a rest. Like you got, your body is just telling you like, we need to take a rest. So I remember on those days I would finally be okay with taking a rest day. And then I would go on social media and I would see all these, everyone working out and doing all these things. And it made me feel guilty. Like I was like, Oh no, why am I taking a rest day? You know, or seeing all the like, you know, people posting about no rest days or no time off and stuff. And I was like, Oh, I'm so weak. Why am I doing this? And so, yeah, I definitely agree. Stuff like that, that, that is triggering to you. You you have to just, you just have to stop looking at it and you have to get rid of it and replace it with more positive type, you know, and it's more positive type body positive or anything, just health at every size. Um, it, it just helps so much to kind of change. If you just change everything that you're looking at 24 seven, then it kind of changes your mindset too. Yes, exactly. And it's also important to, to know and to remember that we are all uh, beautiful in our own ways. I mean, we're, whenever you compare yourself to others, it's like saying, okay, God, uh, thank you for the body that you've given me, but I want that other person's body. You know, I, I feel like that's what, whenever you compare yourself to others, it's, it's almost the same as saying, you know, thank you for what I have, but I'd much rather have this other woman's body. And why would you want that? I mean, there's really only one of you in this world. So why would you want to copy and be somebody else? We should all embrace who we are and we all are beautiful in our own unique ways. And it, we, it's important for us to, to remember that. Yeah, definitely. We, when you compare yourself, you're kind of just tearing yourself down <laughs> and you're just, you know what I mean? You're just, you're thinking that you're gonna not good enough, which is never the good mindset to be in because that is where tons of tons of issues can can happen. Um, so I'm interested because you have clients, right, that you work with. Yes. So I am interested. What are some of the things that you do? Let's say someone comes in and they are feeling really out of control with eating or exercise, and they're just feeling really down about themselves. Like, what are some of the basic things that you kind of do with your clients to get them to start to change their mindsets from, from this obsession, controlling behavior to more kindness towards themselves? Yeah. Well, I, I always love to uh, ask a ton of questions to all my clients and I love to uh, make them realize that this, this eating disorder that they have or whatever it is that they're dealing with comes from something a lot deeper so once we find out what that is for them, and it's, you know, it's different from, for everybody. For me, for example, it was like control. Um, so whenever we find out what it was from them, some people it's about, you know, they grew up in an abusive household where, or they have a really bad relationship to one of their parents, or, you know, it can be a, a lot of things. So once we get to that, um, then we start to work a little bit on that. And then it becomes a lot easier for them to realize that, okay, my eating disorder actually is not because uh, what I think it beca- it's from, it comes from something a lot deeper. So um, I think it's really important to get this deep whenever you're recovering, because it's really, I don't, you've you found that with yourself too. It really was never about the food. It was really never about the exercise. It was really about some other things in your life that you just didn't, that felt too painful to deal with that you felt like exercising and and food was a lot easier to control um, and less painful to to do than having to realize, okay, these are my issues and why not work on them? 
Right. And it's really distracting too. You know, it can become like a coping mechanism, yep. a way to not think about anything else except exercise and food. And if you just totally block everything else out, then it's like, you don't have to deal with anything else that might be bothering you or that, that comes up in your life. And it's just, but then, like I said before, you're in this such a, in this such tiny little bubble yeah. and it's really hard to be in that bubble for a long period of time because you start to realize like things that you're missing out on. And that's why, I mean, that's the whole reason that I am doing this work and that you're doing this work is to help people get out of that and just live a better life. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I know with that, like I said, it can be kind of a coping mechanism. Um, and I know like I'm speaking from, from my own experience too. I know that when I went through therapy and when I went through recovery and when I started to figure out like, what are these underlying, underlying drivers that are causing me to act out in this way with exercise and with food, it was once I fixed not necessarily fixed, but worked through those things, it, it was a lot easier, like you said. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that, of course, life isn't perfect. So let, you know, you don't ever know what's going to happen and something painful might come up again. Something hard might come up again. And so how, do, like, it's hard to not go back to those behaviors in those, in those sorts of times. Mm -hmm. um, and especially for exercise, because I was addicted to exercise too. And changing my mindset from, using exercise as a way to like purge after I ate something or, you know, if I had a cheat meal or whatever it was into more of a positive thing for my body was hard because it was hard to set up those boundaries. Yes. So I'm wondering too, if you have any like advice on how to make that process a little bit, not, not necessarily easier because it's not easy, but I remember when I was recovering, I was scared that I would never be able to exercise again because I just couldn't control myself around exercise mm -hmm. and there was no way that I could exercise. So I, I pictured myself just literally laying on the couch for the rest of my life and I didn't want to do that. Obviously, that's not good either. So how do you kind of like go from a really unhealthy place to using it as more of as a way to actually be healthy and happy instead of a crutch or a punishment? So, um, okay, one, a lot of things that uh, a, lot, a lot of times what I recommend um, clients to do is to do things that ask yourself, what is that feeling um, that I get from exercising and how can I get that feeling from other things? So sometimes it can be uh, by journaling or meditating or maybe even just walking or doing yoga or stuff like that. So first of all, find out what is that feeling that you get from um, exercise, you know, it's, is it control? And then you have to learn to let go of control. How do you let go of control? But if it's other things, then how can you get that feeling through stuff like, um, you know, whatever else would work for you, whether that's journaling or meditating and stuff like that. Um, because then that's a lot easier for you to use exercise in a much healthy way, which is what we probably all started doing in the first place. You know, I just, when I just started working out, it was just to lose that little bit of weight that I had uh, gained. Um, but then I used it as an addictive thing, just like anybody else would use, um, you know, alcohol or drug addiction as, uh, as a coping mechanism. For me, it was my food and the exercise. But you can go back and, and develop 
exercise, if you, if you can learn to uh, do other things that you, you get from exercising, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I, I think, you know, it's just changing your mindset on it from being a punishment or being something that you have to do because you ate whatever you ate last night or something. And that's how I used to look at exercise. Like it was like, oh, I did this and now I have to do this really, really hard thing to cope or to make up for that. And if you just stop like comparing the two and just kind of exercise when you want to or do something that you enjoy, um, whether it be walking or whatever it is, yoga. Um, but if you change your intention, it that's how you start to heal the relationship, but s- while still being able to incorporate some kind of healthy exercise into your life. Exactly. And you also have to be willing to feel uncomfortable. Like I talked about earlier, you have to be um, willing to, okay, let's say you ate something bad today and then tomorrow you want to punish yourself with a, through a really tough workout, but be willing to tell yourself, okay, no matter what, I am not going to do this today. I'm going for a long walk instead. And I know that's going to feel really, really uncomfortable. And you're going to have this urge to uh, work out. But if you stop feeding that urge day after day, it's going to get a lot easier to repeat that. You know, it's going to get a lot easier for you to in the future say, okay, I don't feel like I need to go through a tough workout today. Instead, I I just want to uh, do a small uh, walk or something like that. But it's just remembering to not feed that urge. Um, Because if you starve that urge in you that needs to work out, that needs to burn all these calories, uh, once you starve that, it becomes a lot easier for you to accept other forms and, and experience and experiment with other types of workouts that really feel good to you instead of feeling like it's a punishment for you. Yeah, because it's almost like if you don't change anything, then you can't expect anything to change. And I, I remember for me, and even like now, sometimes I'll have a scheduled class. Like let's say I have a scheduled boxing class that I'm going to because I love boxing. But I'm just not feeling it when I wake up. Like my body is just not feeling that good. It's not that energized. I just don't feel like I have enough energy to do it. Mm-hmm. Doing things like deciding that, okay, maybe I'll go to yoga instead. Like a, a, you know, a, an easy yoga class, a stretching class, something that isn't that, isn't that intense that my body doesn't – because you know when your body's telling you, like, don't do that. <laughs> you know, you know when, when your body's saying, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but – that's part of like the exercise addiction is just not listening to that and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and the urge, like you said, but if you don't listen to the urge and you just do something different and I know it's so hard, like you said, it's not easy to just, to, to just completely change your schedule when you've been on this like intense schedule and it's really, really hard because you don't know what's going to happen. And you think all of these bad, terrible things are going to happen if you don't go to your hard workout today But then when you realize that that doesn't happen, that's when it's okay. Like that's when you start to actually feel better because you realize I'm okay. Like it's okay. I didn't, you know, nothing terrible happened to me. I felt, I felt better. I feel more, I have more energy. I didn't push myself to the point of getting sick. And yeah, I I totally agree with you. That's, that is, I think that helped me the most of anything was just forcing myself to change little things like that because then that kind of tells you like that it just it just lets you know that you're okay and that it's nothing terrible will happen to you 
Exactly. You just have to be willing to take that first step. And with anything with like recovery, there isn't just one thing that I can tell you that you could do right now and it'll be so much better tomorrow. It, you have to take that first step to feel uncomfortable and then you have to do it every single day so that it can get better because you don't just do one thing once and then expect it to change your life. You have to do it repeatedly um, and you have to trust the process. And like you said, you do feel a lot better when you listen to your body. Sometimes you want to do uh, something like yoga. Other times you have a lot of energy and want to go through a, a, you know, a little bit of a tougher workout and that's okay. That's all the process of listening to your body. Um, but like I said, you just have to be willing to take one step at a time uh, to feel uncomfortable. And then you realize that it was really not that bad. I didn't gain 100 pounds overnight. I, I didn't, you know, I'm actually loving the way I'm feeling now. I love the way I look right now. I love the confidence I'm gaining from this. Um, it's just a matter of being willing to, to do it. Yeah. And that's another thing too, is just gaining back the confidence in yourself. Because I think a, a huge thing with with eating disorders and body image and body dysmorphia is just trying to have every external validation, like in any possible way to get external validation, having other people tell you that, oh no, you, you look so good. You look so good. That's kind of like what feeds the beast. It kind of keeps the, keeps it going because that makes you feel good about yourself because you don't really feel good about yourself. But then when you actually start to feel like really good about yourself and when you start gaining confidence back, you don't need anyone else to tell you that. Exactly. exactly. And, the, and the only way to do that is to change the patterns that you're, that you're currently in, that you feel for whatever reason you need the, out, the outer validation. Yeah. Cause it's all, it's all inside you. You really don't need that. Like you think you need that from other people, but you don't. Um, so it's really, it all comes from inside of you. Yeah. And it's, it's really amazing. I mean, it's, it's, I've said this a million times, but it's a really hard process, but it's also a really amazing process because I think you learn so much about yourself through the process. Yes, definitely. You, you do. And that's why I always say, don't judge your eating disorder because it's there for a reason. If it was not because of me losing my period, had I not gone through all of that, I would have never learned so much about myself and about my own body. So it's amazing that I actually got to learn so much about myself through this process. And yeah, this is what it took for me to go through in order to learn so much about myself, but I'm grateful that I actually got something good out of it. So in every eating disorder, there's always something to learn from, and it can be a really good thing to use it, you know, to use it as a thing that, um, a lesson for yourself. Like, what did I learn about my body? What did I learn about myself? How was this serving me in a way? And how can I, uh, learn other ways uh, to to heal my body and not use exercise and food to cope. What like what can I do instead to feel better in my life? Right, it can almost be like a blessing in disguise if you look at it that way. Yes, um, for sure, because it, like you said, you just learn so much about yourself, and then a lot of when you go through recovery, a lot of us want to help other people recover too, and so it's like, yeah, I think you kind of find your you really find your purpose and just find out so much more about yourself through the process, even though it's really hard. Yeah. And so one more thing I did want to ask you about, this is kind of switching gears, but I did see, and I have heard other um, podcasts or articles or blogs talk about this. And I think it's really interesting. So I want to bring it up on my podcast. Um, 
I saw you wrote a blog post on like masculine versus feminine. Yes. So I know in the eating, so for the listeners that don't know, we'll kind of explain what that is, but I know unknowingly we kind of like lean towards masculinity, it seems, in the perfection eating disorder control type of environment. Mm -hmm. So how can that affect, like what, what are the differences between masculine and feminine and how can sometimes we as women sort of lean towards masculinity and how does that affect us? So, okay, the masculine energy is a lot like you demand results, you're very controlling, you're very uh, demanding and, you know, so the feminine energy is more like accepting and letting go. Uh, And so I remember specifically one day I was talking to my life coach and I was talking to her about, you know, not having my period and stuff like that. And I was like, so how do I know, um, how can you guarantee me that I will get my period back? if I do all these things, if I do gain weight, if I do um, stop exercising or cut down on my exercising, she was like, so Rita, do you see how much, uh, how that's a very masculine uh, energy to come from? And that really made me realize, I'm like, oh, wow, that is, you know, she was like, do you see that could be one reason you don't have your period that you don't act very feminine, you don't have much feminine energy in you, you're very demanding, you want results, you want guarantees, and um, so that's why I decided to write this blog post because it really made me realize that I was giving out a lot of masculine energy and not to say that it's a bad thing at all because we all need that uh, even as women, we need both and there has to be a balance between those two. But I, when I started to act more feminine and I started to feel more feminine, um, it, it was a lot easier for me to feel like more womanly because when I didn't have my period, I did not feel womanly at all. I did not feel feminine. Um, so I, when, once I started to act like it, it was easier for me to feel more feminine and then you know, to, to do things to actually get my period back and be more willing to do the things to get it back. Right. So it sounds like you just needed to kind of balance both of them out yes. rather than just, and again, that goes back to, like you said, the control aspect. Yes, exactly. I had to let, so in order for me to act more feminine, when I, one of the things I had to do was to learn to let go of control. And it wasn't an easy thing at all, but it was, it was very well worth it. And it was, it was a good feeling to actually start to act more feminine because I am a woman and I love to feel womanly. And um, yes, having a balance between those two So if masculinity is kind of like the more controlling um, side and wanting to get perfect results and, you know, just that, that kind of mindset, what, what is the more feminine side then? Like how, how, what's the difference? Well, I would say to learn to let go of control, to be more acceptive of how things are and just accept how we can't, uh, we can't change things that we have no control over, things that yeah, just learning to let go of control is, I would say, is the more feminine side of it. So it, accepting that the, that things are the way they are. It's okay that I don't have my period. It's okay that I um, have had all these unhealthy behaviors, but how can I what, focus on things that you can change instead, but from a more calm, um, feminine point of view? 
Yeah, definitely. That's what, I mean, I think that, I think that whole topic about masculinity versus femininity is so, so interesting. Um, Cause we don't think about that. And I feel like sometimes we can, I, I don't know if it's our society or our culture. It might be our culture that kind of pushes us towards the masculine control. We have to get this done. Everything has to be perfect. We have to do this now rather than just living the experience, you know, just being okay with what's happening now and knowing that whatever is happening now doesn't necessarily have to be changed right this second. If you know, and, and I think maybe it is, maybe it is our culture that makes us feel like that. Yes, definitely. I I feel like it is the culture and the society. And another thing I wanted to add to that was um, when I had to also learn to be more present and be more in the moment and stop having so many expectations of how I should be like and what I should be doing. Um, because that's putting a lot of pressure on your on myself. So taking off that pressure that I have to get results, I have to change things right now at this moment. Once you give that up and you let go of control, it's you feel so much lighter. You feel like a huge weight comes off your shoulder, and it feels really, really good to to feel like that. So yeah, to just feel so okay with things and and. It's hard because a lot of, I know for me too, like I have perfectionist tendencies towards everything. So that's hard for me to like give up control and not have things be perfect. But it's just, it's like, like you said, a huge weight lifted off your shoulders when you can kind of tap into that other side. And it's just, you realize like the whole world isn't going to end if I don't do this right now, or if this, you know, is it's, it's going to be okay. Yes. Makes it so much better. Well, thank you. I love talking to you. I feel like we could keep going and going and going. (laughs) You have so many interesting topics and I love your blog. So I would like for you to just let the listeners know where they can find you. Um, I know you have a note ebook out. So just give us a little bit of information about that so we can stay in touch. Yeah. So uh, my ebook that I just came out with is called Eat Your Period and Your Life Back Through Primary and Secondary Foods. And um, in that book, I talk about all these, you know, foods that you physically can eat to get your period back and supplements and herbs that you can experiment with. But um, I feel like when I talk about the primary foods that overrides the secondary foods, I think feeding yourself in a way that no food can feed you in, um, you know, feeding yourself outside the plate is so much more important. So that's really what I focus uh, a lot on the book about, eat your period and your life back. Um, so that you can find that in my, on my website, rawrita.com, and Rita is spelled with double T. You mm-hmm. can also find me on YouTube. It's also Raw Rita. I post weekly videos every single Monday. I have a new video that can, it's very, really inspiring and motivating to keep you strong in your own recovery process. And then I'm also very active on Instagram, um, also Raw Rita. Awesome. And I'll link all of that in the show notes. And I definitely would recommend checking out her website and rawrita.com. It's really, really great. You have really good, really good blog posts that are really inspiring and I, I love them. So thank you so much. And it was really, really good to talk to you. And I know that the listeners got a lot out of, out of hearing your story and hearing everything that you have, have to say is just very, very helpful. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to be here with you today. You too.